morning. It's always an honor to get to share with you, and uh, I'm excited about this particular uh, Sunday because it is a Sunday before Thanksgiving, and uh, Thanksgiving is always a fun time, at least for me. Uh, my, my family and I, were big on uh, eating some good, good food. Um, we have uh, a, a uh, there's, there's going to be a debate in my home today, I mean today, uh, this, the, this Thanksgiving on what kind of cranberries are preferred uh, during during Thanksgiving meal? Do you like it out of the can? Do you like the lumpy one out of the can? Or do you like the one that's, uh, that's homemade, that doesn't have any sugar in it? And um, I like the one from the can. Uh, and you can judge me for that. I don't mind. Ocean spray is where it's at. All right. If you make your own, I'm not going to eat it. Like, uh, I, I love you, but uh, I, love the, I love it out of the can. This morning... I'm going to share with you on a topic that should be pretty fitting for this season. It's um, on the expression of gratitude. I think it's absolutely something that should continue beyond this season. But there's something I would like for us to consider in, whether, in, in regards to um, moments like this that we're prompted by, I would say, religious tradition to say thanks, to give thanks. Um, I want to challenge us to um, really evaluate where, uh, grati- whether gratitude is a part of that experience. Uh, when, when we do things that are prompted by religious tradition, sometimes those experiences can feel a little empty. 1 Thessalonians 5.16 says, Rejoice always. Pray continually, and give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do we rejoice always? Do we pray continually? Do we give thanks in all circumstances? I think if we consider something I would like to share with you this this morning, I think the answer to these questions would be yes. And it would not come from a place of obligation or something that we're supposed to do, but come from a place of genuine gratitude. You know, joy and, pray, uh, uh, joy and prayer always accompany genuine expressions of gratitude to our Heavenly Father. And I think it's that genuine part that we can miss sometimes, especially if, we, if, if, we don't act, if we're not actively aware, aware of the one reason that we should be continuously grateful. I want to park on that this morning. Because when we miss this, believe me, it can absolutely be felt during Thanksgiving. When, when the tradition uh, is about to happen. Okay? How many of you guys, as a tradition, as a family, before the meal, okay, the, the, the turkey's cooked, the mashed potatoes are out, you can smell the yams, everything is ready to go, it's warm, nice, ready to be served, and we, what do we do first? We... We gather together in a big old circle, right? And depending how big the family is, we'll give you a little bit of an idea of how long it's going to take before you actually take your first bite. There's always that little tension right before it starts. Especially if there's no direction. Everyone's just holding hands and like, okay, it's time to pray. And everyone bows their head. What are you wondering? Who's going who's gonna to start? Is, is everyone going to say something? Do I have to say something? Not to say it out loud. Are we praying out loud? Is there a limit to how long someone can, uh, can talk when it's their turn? 
And we just love it when a child goes next and says, it says thanks for every single thing that enters their precious little mind. Meanwhile, the food is getting cold, grandpa's falling asleep, and the prayers are getting drowned out by the sounds of grumbling stomachs. I'll be honest with you, I almost dread that part. Not just because I'm eager to get to the food, I am. But mainly, there's, there's probably a small element of conviction there. We are going to say thanks. We're going to say the words, thank you. I mean, that's what you do at Thanksgiving. But are we really grateful? Are we doing something that out of empty tradition and are more focused on what's going to happen afterwards than the genuine experience of giving praise to God? I say do it while you're cooking so you don't have to be so uh, distracted. But think about this. Are we genuinely grateful? You see, saying thank you and being grateful are not necessarily the same thing. You can say thanks without being grateful. Happens all the time. Look, there's nothing wrong with gathering in a circle and coming up with things to be thankful for. It's just that sometimes there can be this underlying obligation and empty tradition these expressions of thanksgiving because that's what you're supposed to do in these sort of moments but for the believer for those of us who are in Christ Jesus in saving saving faith expressions of thankfulness should not ever have to be manufactured or prompted by tradition or proper etiquette it says that we are to be Rejoicing always, praying always, and thankful in all circumstances. How is that, how is that possible? How is that to be? Is that a reality for our lives? When God's word says to give thanks in all things, is that true? Is that true for you when you consider the actual content of your life? Honestly, I think it is only possible, first, for the believer. And second, if the believer would consider something very important about what it took for us to be right standing before the Father. That's what we're going to look at this morning. We need to look at the inexhaustible source of genuine gratitude. Of genuine gratitude and thanksgiving. But first, let's look at the word uh, or the phrase thank you uh, itself. Let's look at the word, just the phrasing, just saying the words thank you. Let me ask you a question. Why do you say thank you at all? Whenever you are prompted to do so, why do you actually say it? I ask because being thankful is actually unnatural. Just, Just saying the phrase thank you is something you learn. It's, it's something that, that is taught how do we know that? We know that a child doesn't automatically know to say thank you or express gratitude when given a gift or basic provision in their life. You know, and we know this because when, when, when you're with a child and, and, and you are responsible for that child and a, and a, 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 a friendly person or, or a stranger or a family member, someone gives them something. You know, they're so excited about that something that sometimes they forget to say 
Thank you. So what do we do? Say thank you. We remind them, say thank you. Oh, yeah, yeah, thanks. Oh, yeah. And they go off and have a great time with that object or that gift. Children are taught to say thank you. You were taught to say thank you. You'll probably remember as a child after receiving that gift from someone, your own parents telling you, say thank you. Why is that? Because it is unnatural to express gratitude. Man at his very nature is an ungrateful being. In fact, many times thankfulness is expressed superficially out of custom or proper etiquette or simply being polite. For instance, when your aunt gave you a sweater for Christmas that you know you are never going to wear unless you're invited to some ugly Christmas party, uh, ugly, ugly sweater Christmas party, you're never going to wear that thing. But when you receive it, you still say, thank you. It's empty, but proper. It's ingenuine, but expected. It's polite. Hey, thanks for the gesture. I appreciate the effort, or lack thereof, I don't know. Again, saying thank you and being grateful are not necessarily the same thing. This ought never to be so for the believer. When it comes to moments when we are given an opportunity to express thanksgiving to our Savior. As traditional as the events of thanksgiving may be. My hope is that we would never have to search for reasons to express thankfulness from a place of genuine gratitude. Let me show you. Gratitude, the word itself, means the readiness to show appreciation for and to return kindness. It is a state of being. It is an attitude. It's not just the outward expression, which can often be superficial, but rather it comes from, from within. And it's sourced from a place of, of, of an authentic reason and not mere obligation or custom. I think if we consider what exactly God has done for us, we would never have to manufacture gratitude. For the believer, when we consider what exactly God has done for us, it, be, it becomes the natural and rightful response of the believer, not only to be grateful, but to have this, this outpouring of unprompted, ongoing thanksgiving, regardless of the circumstances. Regardless of what's going on, regardless of the, of the hardships or the content of the person's life, if we focus on the actual reason we should be thankful at all, I think it will be an everlasting expression of thanksgiving. Well, what is that one reason? Look, there are many reasons we should be grateful to the Lord. I think you and I could spend several hours unpacking the scriptures that declare every reason that those who have, who have been saved in Christ Jesus should be grateful. And we could probably swap stories back and forth on, for days on end, on particular moments in your life where God showed up in tremendous ways and therefore you expressed genuine gratitude in those moments. I think we could talk about that for days. But if we were to make a list and rank 
all the reasons to be thankful to the Lord, I think every believer in this room would have the exact same thing at the top of their list. God saved me. He made it possible for me and all of my brokenness and insufficiency to be right standing before him. 1 Peter 3, 1, uh, 1, 3 says, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we have been born again because God raised Christ Jesus from the dead. That's why 1 Thessalonians can say, give thanks in all circumstances because that truth trumps all circumstances. If you are in saving faith, and we really grapple with the, and, and process through and, and, and wrestle with what it actually took for us to be right before the Father, we would indeed have everlasting thankfulness in all circumstances. But listen, if one is not in Christ, it is not possible for that person to give thanks in all circumstances nor will he be able to express genuine gratitude. You see, the authentic source is just not there. The one, the, the one reason that would trump all circumstances and, 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 and keep us uh, uh, steadfast in a place of thanksgiving wouldn't exist in a person who is apart from God. We see this in Romans 1 when Paul gives a charge against those who are in active rebellion against God Worshiping the creation and not the creator. It says in verse, in verse 21, for although they knew God, they weren't confused as to who God was. They understood who God was. They neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. It's an exchange of truth for a lie. Listen, the natural state of man is rebellion against God. And an identifying mark of that rebellion is being ungrateful. That's not you. At least that's, not my, that's, my, that's my hope. That should never be the case for the believer, for one who claims faith. We do not have this marking characteristic of ungratefulness toward the Heavenly Father. And when we're prompted to give thanks, it is a joyful moment. Even in the midst of those who may not fully understand why, in light of the content of what's going on in your life, that you are so joyfully thankful. The believer knows God. He glorifies God and he gives thanks to God. But not from, from, from a place of superficial custom, but from a place of sincerity. Sincere gratitude does not need to be manufactured. If we are truly grateful about anything, it, gratitude comes flowing from your heart. When you are genuinely, sincerely uh, grateful 
You don't have to be prompted. Say thank you. My, my, my mom adopted these two little girls, precious little things. And, um, and they were adopted at five and four. Or no, five and three. And so uh, they're, they're seven and six now, I think. I, I get, the, get the numbers wrong. But she's, they've been with my mom for a little while. Uh, before they got to my mom, they had a very, very hard, hard background. Their, their family was very, very uh, their background was very tragic. Uh, uh, things like when they went to go get ice cream for the first time. They, they never had ice cream before. Um, just basic necessities like clean clothes was just not. So when my mom uh, takes them places, they, they, they don't know how to express uh, genuine gratefulness. And they, they, they try in their, in their own little children, children-like way, innocent way. And my mom can see genuine gratitude come flowing. I'm like, wait a minute. Kids don't know how to say thank you, but they do know how to express gratitude. Maybe not the empty gesture, say thank you, but they do know how to say, how to, gen, how to de- uh, demonstrate genuine gratitude. When you are sincerely grateful, you do not need the prompt. It naturally comes flowing from you. Sincere gratitude does not need to be manufactured. In light of our salvation, how do we walk in this continual state of gratitude and express thanksgiving in all circumstances? I want to show you something. If you have your Bibles, open with me to Luke chapter 22. This should be a familiar passage. It's a passage that is often depicted in paintings, postcards, posters, but I think they have them wrong to some degree. It's very rare you see one that actually depicts what was probably actually what was actually going on in this moment of Jesus' life. This is Luke chapter 22. What we need to understand is that it is indeed the saving power of the gospel that I think Christians are most grateful for. But let me ask you this: have you actually considered all that was involved? In your salvation, what it actually took for you to be redeemed and declared righteous, to be made justified before God. I recently listened to the medical view of what actually occurred during a Roman crucifixion. It's the most excruciating thing a person could experience. It's where we get the word excruciating, crucifixion. It was coupled with the details that we see in Scripture of what specifically happened with Jesus. And it gave a very brutal picture of what he experienced on his way to the cross. Now, this message is not about that. It's not about going into the the graphic details of what took place in Christ's life. It's not, this is going to be a shock and awe type of message. It's just that there's one thing that happened before he went to the cross that I want us to consider. Look there with me in Luke chapter 22, verse number 44. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. Where is he here? Where has this happened? Garden of Gethsemane. You see this, like, like I said, depicted, depicted in pictures and posters and things of that nature. 
What is he praying for? He's praying right before he's about to do what he was sent to do. And this prayer was so intense that apparently he was sweating drops of blood and it was falling to the ground. When I, when I was younger, I read that passage. It used to confuse me because I didn't fully understand what was going on there. I'd never seen or heard about someone sweating blood before. So I think when we read that verse, we do so in a manner that's sometimes nonchalant and casual that would create images like this. Sure, he's in despair, but I don't think we fully get what's going on here. What helped me understand better what this passage was talking about was an experience that I had early on in my youth ministry time. Uh, it was uh, back in, the, in a student ministry in San Benito. The, the story is not very pleasant to hear, but it's important, so bear with me, okay? We were coming back from a student camp, and one of our students got sick. She said, hey, Zeke, I'm not, I'm not feeling very good. Can we pull over? I was like, yes, because I don't want you to get sick in here. You know, and uh, so we, we pulled over, and uh, a couple of our leaders got out, and, and she just got sick on the side of the road. And, um, you know, like maybe car sick, whatever that was. When she looked back up at us, we all went, because there were all these red splotches all over her face. I mean, I thought the apocalypse had just started. We found patient zero. It's right. She's right there. Get her. You know, I've never seen that before. She had, she had very, uh, you know, uh, light skin. So it, it looked like someone uh, with a bunch of BB guns, just, just these red, bright red blood splotches in her face. And we're like, are you okay? And she's like, what? And, you know, she got sick again. And she looked back up and it was even worse. I was like, what is this? I had never seen that before. Apparently, she was experiencing this condition, this skin condition called uh, hematidrosis. Like, I don't even know if that's how you say that. But it's a very real and very rare medical condition where during a time of extreme anguish, a person can grimace and contort their face so hard that they can actually rupture the blood vessels within their skin. This was happening with this poor student. But only for a moment. Those red uh, splotches lasted for for weeks, I remember. Man, they're getting better. They look like freckles now. I remember thinking, like, wait a minute. She was just getting sick for a moment. Imagine, if you will, how intense Christ's prayer must have been to actually have been sweating drops of blood. This wasn't just a red, freckled face. He wasn't just saying, God, if there be any other way, you know, for this, uh, please let this cup pass from me. Thank you. Amen. That's not how that prayer went. Being fully God and fully man, Christ was fully aware of what he was about to endure. Matthew 26, 38 says, My soul, this is Christ's word, is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Have you ever prayed like that before? Have you ever offered up a prayer so desperate, so grimacing, 
you literally pop the blood vessels in your face. I don't know what Christ was going through. But we have tiny slivers in moments in our lives where we can identify just a little bit about how grimacing that must have been. This wasn't a brief moment of sickness for Christ. John 18.4 describes that Christ knew all that, he was, that was about to happen to him. He knew in painstaking detail the events that, was a, that he was about to endure on your behalf. Now apply that urgency to Christ's prayer. How might that picture look a little different? It wasn't Jesus saying, Lord, please let there be another way. Let's cut past from me. It was, Lord, please, please, if there could be any other way, let this cup pass from me. If there could be any other way that man can be redeemed back unto you, where the cost of the sin that they've committed could be paid for, let there be some other way. Praying with such agony that he literally had blood seeping out of his pores. But then saying, nevertheless, Lord, thy will be done. God, whatever is necessary for your beloved man to be redeemed unto yourself, let that be done. And so he willfully went to the cross and fully satisfied the penalty of sin. On your behalf. For those who are in Christ Jesus through saving faith. Listen, if that's not enough, let me ask you this. Do you realize that Jesus offered up that prayer while we were his enemies? Romans 5, 8 says, but God demonstrates his own, son, his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Maybe we need to not only consider what God has done for us, but how about also consider what he hasn't done to us? God, in his immeasurable grace and mercy, has not administered what would be rightful and just vengeance on his enemies. Think about this. Have you considered who you were, who you are, apart from Christ? Before Christ, the Bible refers to us as enemies of God. In fact, the Bible says, apart from God, a person would still be a child, a child of the devil doing what the devil has called them to do. His condemnation in, in a state of active, active rebellion would be righteous. It would be holy. It would be just. But the Bible says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. That kind of condemnation is not reserved for you. If you are in Christ, it would be righteous, justified, and holy for judgment to come on his enemies. He says, there's no condemnation for you, though, because you are in my son Jesus. 
Romans 8.1. If you don't have that bracketed, underlined, highlighted in your Bibles, for now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. That's Romans 8.1. Highlight that underlined bracket and say, put that on the, uh, write that on the tablet of your heart. No matter how decrepit, no matter how broken this body has become, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Have you ever considered the gravity of that statement? Have you ever considered what it means to be saved? What it took to be right standing before the Father? When that is rightly understood, there is not a more natural response than, to, than the expression of genuine gratitude and thanksgiving. That's what I'm hoping we would consider in just a few days. More than anything else, thanksgiving and gratitude rightly reflect the love relationship between the creation and the creator. Listen, if God did not do a single other thing for us than to offer his son to pay the, the penalty of our sin, it would be immeasurably more than what we deserve. And yet, he loves you beyond that. And yet, he gives us provision beyond that. And yet, he demonstrates his love for you beyond that. You know what's so incredible about, the, about God's relationship with us in, relation, in regards to his kindness? God draws us to him in a couple of ways. And by us, I mean those who have saving faith in Jesus. I belong to the Lord because Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. For those of you who make the faith claim, Jesus draws you unto himself in a couple of ways when we're off track. Okay? One of them is through discipline. We know that. You know, uh, uh, for, um, it says that in, in Hebrews 12, they do not abhor or hate or take light the Lord's discipline. For for those who God loves, he disciplines. For what father does not discipline his own son? Okay, so we know that he can, hey, get back, come over here. But you know what, a more powerful passage, at least when I look at this, it just, it just humbles me to complete and total humility and obedience to the Lord. It says, it's your kindness, Lord, that leads me to repentance. What's incredible about the Lord is that he did not have to do anything for us other than save you. That would be more than we ever deserve. And yet he says, I'm going to be, extend kindness to you, even when you're off track, to bring you back into myself. And the natural response in moments like that is repentance. It moves us to a lifestyle of thankfulness in all circumstances. That nothing would trump the fact that I belong to God in saving faith. That what Christ accomplished on the cross counts for me too. In all sincerity, in all circumstances, we give thanks. At least I hope that we do. Rejoice always, the Bible says. That's the reason that we rejoice always. Pray continually. That's the reason why we continually seek to commune with our Lord and give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Let me ask you, have you tasted the heavenly gift of forgiveness and salvation? Are you identifying with what I'm talking about this morning? If you're not, that can change today. You don't have to wait another day for this to be a reality for you. 
I don't believe there's any happenstance in the kingdom of God. I believe you're here for a reason, hearing this for a very particular reason. My question is, have you tasted the heavenly gift of forgiveness and salvation in your life? For those of you who have, you have every reason to be genuinely grateful. It is the attitude that you walk in by choice because of what you know. There's a state of being. And from that state, you will never have to manufacture thankfulness for others. You wouldn't need the prompt of a holiday called Thanksgiving to give thanks. Would you pray with me for just a moment? You know, I don't know what's going on in the content of your life right now, but God does. When we read the words, all circumstances, I don't know what that is. You do, and the Lord does. And in that, he's asking, he's calling on us to trust him and give thanks. Gratitude is an attitude. It is a state of being. But it's, it is in light of what you know to be true. Now, if you're sitting in this room and you say, well, Zeke, I, I don't know if that's true for me. But I want it to be. I don't know if Jesus is the Lord of my life. But I want him to be. I don't know if my sins have been forgiven and I'm walking in true saving faith in my Lord Jesus. But I want that to be the reality of my life. Listen, if you're, in that, if you're in this room, and that's exactly what you're saying to the Lord, I just want to pray with you. In the quietness of your own heart, right now, you can say, dear God, I get it. I don't want to be apart from you. I know that it's my sin that separates me from you, but I don't want to be separate from you anymore. I don't want this life to be my life. I don't want it to be yours. And God, I get what it took for me to be saved. I'm asking you, Lord, that what your son Christ accomplished on the cross would count for me too. God, I'm declaring with my heart today, this morning, that my old self is gone. I want my new self to be in you. I'm asking you, Lord, that you would forgive me. I'm asking you, Lord, that you would save me. I'm asking you that the declaration of my life is that Jesus is the Lord of my life, today and forever. 